In a twinkling, as Quest's shackled spirit writhed in its new housing, he knew that he was in bondage to a scoundrel. Formless and voiceless, he still fought madly for the freedom which the instinct of ten thousand generations made necessary to him. At the same time, he was furious at himself for having been tricked like an innocent schoolboy. The plank socket, the button which had tripped the supporting spring, the fake rehearsal, the turning of his will to that of Clayson, step by step, the whole cunning scheme unfolded itself to him now. But what could be the purpose behind this villainy? Only one answer seemed possible. Keen must be the one bent on selling the death projector, Philip the one who wished to frustrate this fiendish transaction. And quest of the Secret Service, he was to be the tool to force the sale. With a soundless scream of rage, Quest's will hurled itself against Keen's. The two met like infuriated bulls, and for an instant, too brief to be pictured as a lapse of time, they poised immovable. But two wills cannot exist on equal terms in a single body, and in this case, the vibration of both was that of Clayson. Quest had challenged the master will. He could do no more. It hurled him back, crushed him like foam, compressed him to the proportions of an atom in the background of his consciousness. So brief and unequal was the conflict that in the next breath Clayson had all but forgotten the presence of the stolen will within him. When he was ready to use his agent, that would be time enough to summon him. Despite this suppression, Quest began to see dimly through strange eyes, and to hear vaguely with ears that were not his own. Feelers, tentacles, some intangible kind of conduits carried thought impulses to him from the master will. He received these impressions vividly, but those which he gave off in return were so weak, due to the subjection of his will, that Clayson was entirely unconscious of any response. Quest was not enough of a scientist to be astonished at the ability of a disembodied mind to experience sense impressions in the body of another. He was only glad that the darkness and silence were growing less. Very, very slowly he was awakening to a new kind of consciousness, the consciousness of another person's self. He hated and loathed that self, yet it was better than the awful blankness that had gone before. Suddenly, as light grew brighter and sound more clear and definite, a new element entered, the element of hope. At first it was feeble. Its only suggestion was that sometime, somehow, he might escape this prison. But it was like water to a parched plant. It caused his will to expand, to extend its feelers, to press up a little more bravely against the crushing pile of the master will. Now another surprise sprang upon him. He was moving. That is, Clayson's body was moving in some kind of conveyance, which was threading its way through crowded streets. Stores, buildings, buses, people. Quest remembered them all distantly as things he had known thousands of years ago. The driver turned his head, and his profile seemed vaguely familiar. Now a rush of foreign thoughts drowned out his own. They were a sort of overflow from the mind of Clayson. They thronged along the conduits that bound the two wills together, but only Quest was conscious of the movement. Keen's mind was on his brother Philip. That much was particularly clear. And there was something about a phone call. Yes, Keen had telephoned to the police, disguising his voice, refusing to divulge his name. He had said that a man by the name of Philip Clayson was in trouble, and had told them where to find him. Then the police had telephoned the factory, and Keene had pretended astonishment and alarm at the news. That's why he was here now. 
he was on the way to confer with the police, and he was chuckling, chuckling because he had fooled Quest and the police, and because now the hundred million dollars was almost in his grasp. Cutting in close, the car turned a corner and drew up before one of a row of loft buildings in a section of town which Quest failed to recognize. As Clayson stepped to the sidewalk, Quest was more painfully aware than ever of his powerlessness to influence by so much as the twitch of a muscle the behavior of this hostile body in which he had permitted himself to be trapped. In his weakness he felt himself shrinking, contracting almost to nothingness under the careless pressure of the master will. Clayson glanced casually at his watch, and three men converged toward him from as many directions. There was nothing to distinguish them from anyone else in the street, but along the conduits it came to Quest that they were detectives and that they were there by appointment with Keen Clayson. 